Welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And this is a very special episode. Everyone's lives have been interrupted by this pandemic, and it's our experience that information is power. This is a situation where we definitely need some information, and it would feel really good to have a little power. There are a lot of questions out there as to how we support our children during this time of distance learning, what will happen with our IEP, and how we begin to contemplate and approach IEPs that should be happening right now. Compounded by the day-to-day, it's a lot, and it can feel overwhelming. We are fortunate today to have, via Skype, Georgiana Juco-Kilman, someone who has been by our side during our own personal journey, and someone that we found always seems to have the answers. Georgiana, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's important that I be here, and I'm so glad you guys reached out to me because I think there's so much information that families need to know. Um, Just a little bit about me. I am a special education law attorney. I've been practicing special ed law now for about 11 years. I've been an attorney for over 20 years. And my son, who has special needs, is who inspired me to actually shift my legal career from criminal defense to special education law. My experience with him was a daunting, eye-opening one. And I realized then that if I, as an attorney, had such a hard time accessing services and ensuring that his rights were being met, um, what happens to families who don't have the same sort of level of of advocacy training and um, that are steamrolled and that um, aren't heard. And so long story short, my experience with him led me down the special education path. And it's what I've been doing for years. And it's my absolute passion now. Yeah, I think of you as being someone with all the information. Like you're coming from a similar place that we are, and we're trying to learn this as we go. But you are someone that's that's delved into the law side of it, and so you're coming from a. a it's a great combination, <laughs> and so we love using using your information. Yes, I have most definitely walked in your shoes, so I am here on a personal and a professional level. We've been really fortunate to have you by our side on our journey, which has been such a gift. And one thing that Stephen and I always think of is the people who don't have you or an advocate like yourself by their side. And so now with the COVID-19 and we're seeing so many questions out there, I just want to thank you for for putting the information, giving us the information so we could share it. Because I know right now there's a lot of parents that are they're lost. They don't know what to do. They don't know how this impacts their rights. They don't know how this impacts their services, or even when we go forward, how they'll be impacted. Absolutely. You know, I can give you an example. Um, You know, your child in particular, my child in particular, you know, all of our special ed kiddos with IEPs are at, at a higher risk of regression right now. That's the reality. But even within that special education realm, We've got kiddos in full inclusion, for example, like your child and my child. And those tend to be the ones that are most neglected because while in school, they're accessing an alternate curriculum or they're accessing specific modifications and specific accommodations way beyond that which the regular education or the special ed student um, with resource support gets. And so at this time, it is even more important to make sure that our kids who have much higher needs don't fall through the cracks and aren't just parents aren't just being told here's some enrichment work at home work on that for now and we'll deal with making up lost time later no absolutely not there's an absolute responsibility by educators and administrators at this time to go the extra mile and to make their best efforts to make sure that our kids are also equally accessing an education and curriculum as are other regular education students who are online with their teachers who are being instructed daily I'm hearing that a lot of our kids' parents are being told just to do things at home to sort of supplement independently, and there is not an extra effort being made to make sure that these kids do have the proper instruction while at home now. Um, So it's important that parents understand that um, we aren't any different than the regular education students. Our kids' education doesn't get to be suspended. For the time being, the same effort needs to be made to make sure our kids are accessing instruction now 
um, as regular education students. It's different than a summertime or uh, just a break from school. The district's saying school is happening, education is happening. So you say, you know, they need to go the extra mile. Are you seeing that? And also, if parents aren't seeing it, what can they do about it? You know, I am seeing neglect. Um, You guys know I don't have any um, filter when it comes to calling districts out on on their failures or their lack of of, um, sufficient care for our students. That's why we love you. <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I, I call it out. And I'm seeing different things across different districts. I actually sent a, a mass email to all of my clients who are all across various districts, a lot of them in the LAUSD, asking to give me feedback as to what it is that, that um, their schools are doing for their kids. And I'm seeing very different things. Some districts are on it. Some districts are um truly implementing best efforts to the best of their ability because truly we can't expect districts to you know fully implement IEPs at this time we all know that is not feasible however reasonable um, attempts should be made and other districts are actually and this is super super important for families to understand they do not not that they don't have to that they they they, that they don't sign anything at this time I learned today that certain districts are asking families to waive their IEPs for the time being and waive the access to the district's responsibility to provide instruction at this time. And so they're being sent, just like I said, sort of enrichment work by teachers and giving them little packages. Work on this for now, but this isn't, you know, it, it isn't implementing the IEP for purposes of continuing to provide instruction with services to to meet the IEP goals, as you know, what drives an IEP are, are the students' goals, and and um, the services are provided to meet those goals. And so, during this time, that is not suspended. That needs to continue to the best of the district's reasonable ability. So, when parents are being told, sign off a waiver that you're not going to, that we don't have to access the IEP at this time, and we will later deal with compensatory education, and we'll make up for lost time. There is no making up for lost time when it comes to our kids specifically. Every day matters. And so even though that the current climate does not permit the full implementation of their IEP, that doesn't mean suspension of their IEP. That doesn't mean sign off anything. It means continue to demand that teachers and administrators continue to support your students at home. Every student with an IEP should have a customized Um, level of support at home and even though we can't have an IEP for every student now to try and adjust the current time to current IEPs that's not feasible either that doesn't mean that districts cannot make some kind of a plan to make sure the child is still receiving daily weekly instruction that includes occupational therapy that includes speech and language support that includes resource support there are districts that are having their OTs meet virtually during the IEP time. Let's say your child requires 30 minutes of speech and language or or an hour of speech and language a week, whether it's individual or group-based, that still needs to happen. Parents need to know that those services are being provided and should be provided. And if they're not being provided, reach out to your school, reach out to your administrator, reach out to your teacher, reach out to your service providers and say, listen, I want to know how you're implementing my child's speech and language therapy, my child's 30 minutes a week of specialized academic instruction. How are you supplementing that? While we can't be unreasonable and demand, you know, the same level of support that we have at school, there needs to be a concrete level of support that is actively being offered and parents need to demand that at this time. Do not think that because we're going through this period that your IEP is on pause. It is absolutely not. And parents should know, I mean, we can say this now, that if they get a letter or an email or a notification from the district or the, the administration of their school, that they're not pressured to sign anything or get back to them about the IEP being put on hold or paused. Absolutely. A lot of parents were sort of waiting for teachers or their schools to reach out to them with a plan. And I know that on week three, people hadn't heard anything from schools, um, from certain schools. And so I, I think the parents need to take the bull by the horns um, and the parents need to be the ones to reach out. If you've not heard anything, if no one's reaching out to you to provide guidance and instruction, 
you need to reach out to them and demand that a plan be created um, for the time being. So Georgiana, let me ask you a question because I know that there are letters for services being sent out. And what is a reasonable effort as far as from these service providers? Because I know we've received a letter that's like, tell me what your concerns are or tell me what you need to do or here's something that you can do on your own. Is that a reasonable? No, it's not, to be honest. Um, Let me give you an example. You know, I know for a fact that regular education students are receiving virtual instruction from their teachers. You know, they're online, perhaps not every day. I think some districts are making an effort to meet every day. So you've got on Zoom um, 20 students on the screen and their teacher. And they are being instructed as if they were in school. And so the same has to be demanded for our children. And it's tricky to say what is reasonable because obviously an IEP is an individualized document and it's created to meet specific needs of every child. Every child with an IEP has unique needs. Every child has a different program. And so while some children with an IEP are in regular instruction with um, resource support, which is the specialized academic instruction. So a lot of the times children typically in elementary school who do have specialized academic instruction get pulled out from the classroom for that RSP, that resource academic support from a, from a, a credential special ed teacher. And so then they go back and integrate into the classroom for regular instruction. Other children are in special day classes all day long and their instruction is accommodated via a credential special ed teacher, but their, their setting, the regular setting is a special ed classroom. So it's hard to say, here's what needs to happen. So every case is unique. So for example, a student who is in regular education, who receives resource support and gets pulled out of the classroom, that student should still have the opportunity to obviously participate with the rest of the classroom with the instruction that's being provided or whatever the work is being instructed to the regular ed student. While at the same time, that resource support teacher should reach out to parents and say, your child gets, let's say, 120 minutes a week of specialized academic instruction. I pull your child out of the classroom with three other students and I provide instruction. There is no reason why that can't continue to happen. There is the ability to have a virtual via Zoom or whatever the technology the district applies with the three or four regular students that are typically pulled out of the classroom and worked on on an individualized manner. That should continue to happen. That is a reasonable um, effort to continue to apply an IEP. The same with the special day classes. Teachers should be able, in collaboration with parents, obviously a lot is being asked of parents now. And um, it's also tricky because a lot of these kids that are in regular education or even in a special day class have one-to-one aids. And those one-to-one aids are there to apply certain strategies to ensure that the student's behavior is regulated, to ensure that the student is accessing the curriculum with the attention and the focus that the guide is there to provide. And so obviously you can't have your one-to-one aid at home to help during that instruction time. And so it's possible that the aid could be in Zoom as well and provide support however she can or provide one-on-one support on Zoom with the parent and giving strategies to the parent as to how to help the student at home while the student is trying to access education via Zoom or while the student is in a special day class on Zoom with a teacher. These things should be happening. They're very feasible. And so while it's hard to say here's what is reasonable, it's all reasonable. It's going to depend on the particular student and how that student is instructed typically in school. But certainly the same types of accommodations that are being made right now for regular education students can also happen for special education students, specifically for the related services, psychological counseling. For example, my child gets designated instruction in terms of VIS counseling and his DIS counselor is meeting with him 30 minutes weekly on Zoom or calling him. And so they're still spending that 30 minute a week on the phone or on Zoom. The same with his inclusion facilitator. She's calling in and his behavior intervention team is also on Zoom. When he's sort of, you know, tuning out or when he's not going to pay attention, the behavior intervention team is on Zoom to kind of grab his attention and and get him guided again and back to accessing what is being instructed by the inclusion facilitator and his special ed teacher. And this is being done for him. He's a full inclusion student in a regular education setting, but his, his instruction is modified completely because he's on the alternate curriculum. And it's difficult because obviously the resources are limited and, and it's a matter of 
making sure that there's a coordination between parents and, and you know, facilitators and, and teachers to make sure that the student is available at whatever particular time the teachers are going to um, a lot. You know, it, it, it's a collaboration on both sides. There really is no reason why those efforts can't be made and why students can't be kept to the best ability on track on a daily basis with instruction. Well, I think that's great wording is the reasonable effort because I'm seeing it with our typical child to try to keep a reasonable schedule. You know, it's not going to be maybe the same amount of time as you would have in a a six-hour school day, but there needs to be contact. Each teacher needs to be able to contact that that child and obviously not happening in some places and it is happening in some other places you just advise that parents understand that this effort needs to be made and it may take reaching out to these service providers what's the ramification if this effort isn't made and if they do not receive their services or support because i know that right now parents are home and they've got a their their life has been turned kind of on its ear and they're trying to deal with all of what that encompasses what everybody possibly else multiple is, children and po- possibly multiple children so the amount of energy that they can put into it i i can totally understand if a parent reaches out reaches out reaches out gets nothing that that's gonna eventually go to the back burner unfortunately yes well, parents still have the same ability to pursue compensation. It's the same mechanism as if we were in school. The IEP at this time, like I said, every reasonable effort needs to be made to implement the IEP. And if in a situation, for example, where a parent hasn't been reached out to, where um, or a parent has just been given some sort of supplemental work and told, here you go, work on this, we'll see you when we get back to school. That is not a reasonable effort to implement the student's current IEP. So that is, a vi- that is a violation of the student's IEP. And so the parents are able to pursue a due process complaint to request compensation for this lost time. And so whatever it may be, academic instruction, related services, which language, OT, whatever it may be, a parent can still pursue a due process complaint to try for you know, retribution and to obtain, like I said, we're never going to get the time back. But it's the same process as, as we've always had, where the parent can still pursue that right to file a complaint in pursuit of lost educational time. And that typically is translated into compensatory education. You know, some parents are opting to virtually contract with educational therapy agencies or non-public agencies that may still be providing educational therapy or educational support via Zoom those services are still available. So parents are going out of pocket and paying because they're not getting the support they're they're requiring from their schools. Some parents are opting to privately fund support during this time virtually. And so parents can file a complaint later for reimbursement for the cost um, that they had to incur as a result of the district's failure to provide the proper support. That all, I suspect, will come down the pike. Regardless, in my opinion, compensatory education will be owed to pretty much every IEP parent. Because students at this time aren't accessing the level of support that they need in their IEPs. And that's nobody's fault. Um, And it's tricky. I suspect there'll be litigation about how to handle this lost time. There is no precedent. You know, there is no roadmap. There is no legal guidance as to what happens during this time and what is the responsibility, what is the standard that is expected that, you know, we don't know that. And so moving forward, I, I do know that kids are not accessing and kids are not being provided to the extent that they should be because I'm seeing it, and those will all turn into, ultimately can turn into due process complaints to try and obtain compensatory education and out-of-pocket reimbursement for families during this time. Um, I would encourage parents to form Zoom groups at this time and sort of commiserate and exchange ideas about how they're helping their their children and, and how, you know, how other districts or other schools might be handling things that could give them a sort of glimpse into what's not being done for them. You know what I mean? Um, So I I think to create that network is actually helpful. Um, I know that some families are reticent to share about their children's experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. I get that. And obviously, you have your absolute right to confidentiality. Um, I am very concerned for the families that have a hard time self-advocating, that have language barriers, um, that don't have the information that they need, that are kind of being brushed off by their districts. I know because because I've seen it with my own clients 
and I'm starting to get involved. You know, that's I'm still working. <laughs> that's still an option. I'm still, you know, reaching out. I've had some families reach out to me about how the districts have basically blown them off. And I'm still on board and I'm contacting districts and saying, no, that's not going to fly. What are you doing for my client? This is not going to be acceptable. And so, you know, you push the envelope that way. That also works. Us, you know, attorneys are being deemed or we attorneys are being still deemed essential workers. Go figure. We absolutely are, are still very, I am still very much on board and reaching out and talking to districts and, and demanding that the same treatment, you know, we're not asking for anything above and beyond. Honestly, we're not. We are asking for equal treatment. We are asking that our children be given the same attention and the same importance and the same significance as regular education students. And our kids, like I said, under regular circumstances, under not a COVID-19 you know, pandemic global climate, our kids have a really hard time. It's why I'm, you know, I've always said to you guys, I, I have a job for a reason. I, I have a, a very busy job for a reason because as it is, kids are neglected and special education children's IEPs are not properly implemented. So I can't imagine what families are going through this time. And being fair to teachers and administrators, it is a very daunting, unprecedented time. Nobody, again, has a roadmap for this, but that is not a pass on not exercising best efforts, um, reasonable efforts. And some, some districts are making the effort, some are not. And so ultimately, if parents can't you know, reach out to legal counsel or an advocate for help during this time. They need to have a voice and they need to be proactive and they need to constantly email or call or, you know, it's hard to call anyone because most parents don't have access to anybody's private phone numbers typically, but continue to reach out to your schools via email. I don't know that, and I don't believe that any administrators are at schools. I think most schools are closed. I don't know that anyone is going in, um, but continue to email and request and make a record, make a record, specifically send emails, clearly memorializing what isn't being done, what is being done, but isn't sufficient. So do you have a clear record later when you do pursue compensation to say on these dates, I reached out and this is the outcome. And therefore now I'm owed X, Y, and Z as a result of that failure or neglect. Um, so make sure you keep a very, very clear record about not only what isn't being done, but about what is being done, because what is being done may not be sufficient. And so you're in essence sort of, you know, creating your record and, and establishing your case that you likely will need to pursue later to be able to ensure that your child has a block of compensatory education, whether it's resource support, academic instruction, whether it's more support in school moving forward. You know, this summer, a lot of kids have extended school year services. We're not sure what's going to happen this summer. Even if everything's opened up again in May or June, districts aren't going to have um, the infrastructure set up for summer school or for ESY support. I'm hoping that maybe those plans are being worked on now. I doubt it. But I'm hoping that kids will be able to take advantage of some summer support. We don't know that yet. Um, but these are things that are owed. Um, kids Many of my students have ESY support, and that should be granted. If it's not, then that is further information for a due process complaint that kids were not supported in the need in, in the way that they need to be. Um, again, keeping in mind that we have to be reasonable. It is a difficult time. It is a time that nobody has a compass for, and so it'll be interesting moving forward to see what sort of um, arguments or defenses districts have not to provide. Um, or to excuse having not provided a level of support. It's gonna be a factual argument as to what they should have, shouldn't have done. Um, but parents need to create their record now and very, very clear record of what's being done right now. Um, and something I really wanna to touch upon, which is important is um, hopefully this won't happen, but it's still at risk for happening in the current stimulus package. There was an attempt to include a clause um, that allowed the Secretary of Education um, the power to grant waivers to the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And so it didn't, it didn't make it to the stimulus, so it's not something that was granted. However, there is a clause in there now that allows her to petition Congress to enact further legislation to go ahead and grant that state-by-state -state waiver, which means it would, in essence, give states, school districts, the power to suspend with the IDEA mandates for a period of time, mm. which means 
it's a pass on them not to implement IEPs and only do as they deem fit, however they deem fit, with absolutely no recourse for families and no obligation or responsibility to apply an IEP as mandated by IDEA. And so I know there's certain lobbying going on. Um, There's groups like COPA that are working very hard to prevent it. And ultimately, though, you need to hear, Congress needs to hear us, the parents. And if it comes to it, we need to flood them with phone calls and emails about how much this would be detrimental to our children. There should be no period of time whatsoever that the idea is lifted, none whatsoever. As it is with the idea in place, we struggle so much when we have these powers and these rights that our children are entitled to, and still we struggle. So you can just imagine if idea is lifted for any period of time, our kids will be lost and it's unacceptable Mm. and parents have to fight against it. We just watched the documentary, Crip Camp, which really, that it was was so great because you understand what people went through just to get idea absolutely well and that those reasonable supports i mean that's that's where people like you um uh, advocates uh parents that are that that are self-advocating um that's that's where this back and forth is going to have to go to find that that designated line of what a reasonable support is but hopefully everyone can keep in mind that that suspending idea would would not be a reasonable thing you would recommend parents now call congress and talk about that. I can provide you guys the um, link where it has all of the different congressmen and women, all of your representatives, all of your senators, um, and families need to reach out to the particular representatives and senators um, to urge that this not be allowed. Great. I'll include that link uh, in the show notes. There was a great line in that documentary again where the woman was grateful that there was access to a bathroom, and she said... When I'm no longer grateful just to be able to use the bathroom, that's when I know I'm equal. And I think that's what parents need to know is everybody's doing their best to support all children. And teachers are working really hard. They're having to learn new programs. They're having to relearn how to learn a new way to teach. But that applies to our kids, too. Sometimes parents don't speak up and they feel like, well, this is kind of more of a gift, you know, not, not a right. And so... We're actually outspoken about this, and we still you know, need people like you around us. I always tell parents that don't be afraid to request, to demand, because that is your right. It's not, a, it's not an ask. It's not a, please, can you do this? It's no. This is what you are legally entitled to, and it's what they have an obligation to implement. This is not the time, specifically with the IDEA risk. It's not the time to remove safeguards that typically, even when in place, it's difficult to access what our children need, even with these safeguards in place. So this is a time to ensure their enforcement moving forward more than ever. This is a time when we need to rely on those safeguards, on on those legal entitlements more than ever, because that's what's going to protect families. That's what's going to secure your rights to pursue whatever recourse you need in the future to try and catch up your kids because there's no question our kids are regressing. There's no question no matter what best efforts are being implemented right now, it's never going to be equivalent to what our children receive in schools. You know, our children in schools with IEPs sometimes have a very intricate plan in place with so many different moving parts and variables that have to come together in order for them to access their education from service providers to teachers to resource support to facilitators that work throughout the day to make sure that this plan is implemented on a daily basis. So all of that has been removed. It's like the rug has been pulled from under them and they're being given one or two resources and told here you have to manage with this. And again, nobody's fault. We can't expect that reasonable you know, implementation that you have in school every day. That's not going to happen. We are going to have a loss and that is nobody's fault. And we can't per se you know, place this crazy unreasonable standard on people. I get that. Um, but that doesn't give them a pass not to do everything that they can. And I do believe that that in some, some places, in some situations, given that teachers are doing so much and I'm so appreciative because I'm seeing that too, um, I do think that that more can be done um, because I'm seeing it. And and it angers me that, that there's sort of a relaxed sort of, um, sort of climate toward some of our kids. 
and that's mm-hmm. not okay. And ultimately, it is up to the parent to say no, not okay, and to make a clear record of it. I can't emphasize that um, enough. Another pointer I want to give families is, you know, many children's IEPs are due at the end of the school year. This is what we typically call IEP season. You know, between early March, early June, this is the height of IEP season. And um, students' annual IEPs are reviewed at this time. Their goals are reviewed um, to determine whether or not progress is being made, whether the current services and placement is appropriate moving forward. And, you know, as you know, they offer FAPE, a free appropriate public education for the following year. And so an IEP has to be currently active um, and it needs to be um, updated for the following school year. And there has to be an offer of FAPE, an active offer of FAPE for the next school year. And so unfortunately at this time, IEPs are not taking place because it's, it's just not logistically possible for many districts. Having said that, many districts are doing them. I've had several of them by Zoom. Um, so reach out to your school districts and inquire as to what's going to happen with your annual IEP meeting. Um, because technology is permitting IEP meetings and it's, you know, as long as the parent absolutely agrees to it, Zoom is completely legal in terms of confidentiality. Um, the, con- the same confidentiality applies on Zoom. And so as long as parents consent to it, there's no reason why if districts have the, the bandwidth and the technology for it, why, why IEP meetings can't at least be attempted. They probably can't do them all. It's impossible. Um, but if you have an IEP meeting that you should have had in March or you have in April or you have next month in May, reach out and say, what's, what's going to happen with my IEP? Are you still conducting those via Zoom? And make a record that you requested your IEP meeting be held. They are not exempt or absolved from making an attempt to continue to convene annual IEP meetings. Um, the LAUSD in particular, thus far, I'm being told they're not conducting meetings yet and they are postponing them. That's going to be a problem. Um, obviously, the LAUSD is, is behemoth. You've got probably over 80,000 IEP students in a district of, I don't know, over 800,000 students. So I get the logistical nightmare that that presents, but I don't believe that any effort is being made to conduct IEP meetings via Zoom. In my opinion, I think they should be. An effort should be made to at least get some of them or attempt to, to get meetings in the books, at least the ones that are obviously due now. It's many of them. It's thousands of them likely. But my understanding is they continue to postpone IEP meetings. But just because they tell you your meeting has been postponed, don't accept that. Follow up on that. Well, when is my meeting? What is the next date? Um, we are all sort of, it's been sort of allotted that we are going to be able to end the quarantine by April 30th, I think is the national date. I don't know that's true. That's what we're working on right now. So parents should be reaching out to see if they can get their IEP meeting scheduled in May with the knowledge that it will be difficult. There will be a bottleneck. There's no question about that. But at least make the record that you did make the request for your IEP meeting and get a response and demand a response in writing as to what's going to happen with your annual IEP meeting because that is what drives your child's services and placement for the following school year. And that is what will determine um, where your child currently is with with the IEP um, goals completion and what needs to change for next year. That can still happen. And like I said, many districts, I have one on Monday, many districts are conducting the IEP meetings via Zoom and inquire as to what your district is doing. That's fantastic because I don't, yeah, I don't think that's, that's the, uh, that's what's happening to LUSD, but uh, it's glad to, I'm glad to hear that some districts are attempting that and maybe other districts will get on board because that's, seems like the only reasonable way to get things done at this point. And you would recommend an IEP through Zoom. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, obviously some information will be missing. Uh, What we're looking at, we're talking about about four weeks, obviously, worth of, of information that, you know, data that isn't being collected, progress that isn't being tracked because kids haven't been in school for the past four weeks. But we've had an entire school year, you know. School year started in August. Kids stopped going to school March 19th, last month. Um, so there's enough data and there's enough information to gauge where the student is, where the goal completion is, and what if any changes need to occur moving forward, what goals need to be tweaked, what services need to be changed. There's enough information from this past school year to convene an IEP meeting and, and make a reasonable assessment as to what a child's educational plan should look like next year. Just because we've had this pause doesn't mean that an IEP meeting, you know, there's not enough information to gather 
and have an IEP meeting and create a plan for next year. Absolutely, there's enough information to do that, and it should be done to the extent available. Districts should be making an effort to meet um, via Zoom. It's parents, it's administrators, it's teachers, it's service providers. They all can be on there. They're all, my understanding is, are all still um, working and um, considered employed at the moment, and they there's no reason why IEP meetings, which are the typical part of, of their um, responsibilities, can't be held at this time. As long as the technology permits it, I think an effort needs to be made and parents should ask for it. And who would they email? Would you say their teacher, the APIS, the principal? APIS. The APIS. Typically, in the LAUSD, the person at the local school in charge of IEPs and special education is the assistant principal. Most parents have the assistant principal's email. And if they don't, they can go on the school's website and look up under staff. And typically, the information is on there. So you should be reaching out um, to your assistant principal. Some districts handle it differently. Some districts have special education um, directors. So you reach out to them. Um, whomever the person in charge of special education is, whether it's a director or whether it's a, an assistant principal, that is who you should be reaching out to. And if you're not getting a response, then reach out to your teachers and ask your teachers if they can reach out to your administrators and ask that someone reach out to you because you want a status as to what will happen with your annual IEP meeting. And what would be the ramifications for not having an IEP? Would it would the parents just go to a stay put for next year until one was scheduled or? Yes. So technically it's a violation. An annual IEP meeting has to be done on a timely manner by the due date. So if you had an IEP meeting last year on April 1st, your annual IEP meeting has to be conducted this year by April 1st. Obviously, given the circumstances we're under now, it's very difficult to expect that that will not be violated. And again, being reasonable, it's nobody's fault, but it is what it is. It's still a mandate. It's still legally required that the student's IEP be held annually on a timely matter. And so it's all going to depend on the effort the school is making. If IEP meetings are being conducted and yours isn't being done, that's a violation. They, they violated the annual IEP meeting date. Um, and so what happens is your child isn't going to not have an IEP, obviously, moving forward. It's stayed put. And so whatever it is that the current services and placement is, that will just continue until the, until the new year, until the new IEP meeting is held and then, you know, whatever new changes are made. But in the meantime, the parent will just continue with whatever services are in place now. Those aren't going to end. That will continue. I have a concern for children who did file, you know, parents did file due process complaints last year because they disagreed with their IEP and felt they weren't sufficient. And so we filed due process complaints and settled. Those settlement agreements expire. And so whatever services that were granted via those settlement agreements, those are not stay put. You know, we file another due process complaint to continue those services. Or if we disagree with the IEP, the subsequent IEP subsequent to the settlement agreement, we tend to file another due process complaint and we tend to pursue the services that are necessary. Unfortunately, until there's an IEP, we can't go filing a due process complaint to request something that we haven't yet addressed. And so that becomes tricky. The same with students that are privately placed um, via settlement agreement and an IEP need, meeting needs to be held to go over placement and whether or not the district's offer is going to be appropriate or whether the parent disagrees and parent will opt to continue unilaterally placing. The parent can't file a due process complaint for tuition reimbursement next year until there's an IEP meeting to go over the offer of FAPE as per settlement agreement. So that gets tricky. That's all going to be on pause. And so it's difficult because families that are privately placing aren't going to place their children in a public setting without having any kind of supports in place for it because it's not in the IEP or the IEP mm -hmm. services are insufficient. And so these families are going to have to make a choice to continue to place unilaterally. And that's going to be a little tricky because in order for a family to continue placing unilaterally and pursue reimbursement, they've got to give written notice to the district. So it's, it's, a, it's a muddied water, specifically for parents that are privately placing their students or at a non-public school. Um, typically, the non-public school is funded by the district that continues. But if you're at a school like Westmark, for example, or at Park Century, parents should give notice to districts that they will continue to lead out early place and given that IEP meetings aren't being held. And it's the only reasonable thing that they can continue to do. But they should give written notice to make sure that they preserve that right to pursue reimbursement, although it's going to be a little bit tricky given that IEP meetings haven't been held. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward.
what legal arguments will be drawn from all of this on both sides. Because you have students, let's say if a child is going from preschool to their home school to start kindergarten, that's a jump. Or if they're going from fifth grade to a middle school, middle school to high school, those are things that are going to be very severely impacted. Those are going to be the hardest scenarios for families because you've got preschool to kindergarten, even kindergarten to first grade in some instances. Um, You've got elementary to middle, middle to high school, and then you've got high school transition services for kids that are graduating. And so those are going to be the most difficult cases because the stay put that applies in elementary school isn't going to apply for middle school. It's, it's going to be a completely different system going from elementary where you're in a classroom of 30, you know, 24 to 25 kids, sometimes higher than 30, you know, all day long onto a middle school where now kids are obviously rotating in classes of about 45 kids throughout the day. And so a kid that might be in regular education in elementary school with whatever support in place may not be successful in a large 3,000 student middle school rotating throughout the day. So the right supports and services have to be in place in order for that transition to occur as smoothly and as successfully as possible. So the most difficult situations for families are the ones that are in those transition phases. This is why those families need to absolutely reach out to your schools and request that support be provided, that guidance be given, that IEP meetings be convened. Even if districts aren't convening meetings and they're postponing them and they may not hold meetings this year, as a parent, your job is to advocate for your child and step outside the box and reach out and say, look, my kid is transitioning to middle school. How are we going to do this? I need help. Can we convene a meeting via Zoom? Can we discuss the options? That's what you're going to have to do. And, and again, if you can reach out to an attorney, if you can reach out to an advocate, do so. I don't mean to be a pessimist, but that's going to be probably the most effective way to reach someone. Unfortunately, it's sink or swim right now. And everybody's just sort of vying for um, attention, sort of speak, from administrators. Well, the deeper we dive into this whole thing, the, the muddier the waters get. You know, it's, it just gets more and more complicated from summer school and ESY to now you're talking about transitioning to a, another school or uh, you were put into a private school. It's, it really does get complicated. It is, it is complex all the way around and more so for some families than, than for others. Reaching out definitely to your administrator, trying to get that IEP for these uh, situations where we're making those large transitions. Is there any other advice that you would give them? Like, so I'm just going to say I'm transitioning from elementary to middle school and I've reached out and they're giving me nothing. I cannot start next year with what I have. What would you advise me to do? The only real thing you can do is to knock down the proverbial door of an administrator at your school. You know, if you're going from, let's give our local example, from Carpenter Elementary to Walter Reed, and your child is in full inclusion on an alternate curriculum, that's a very complex IEP that can't just transition over smoothly without a clear plan created with new goals Um, because it's going to be a very different environment with very different demands on the student and different services that are going to be required to access that which the student needs to meet those goals. And so the primary thing to do is to be insistent and to reach out to the administrator at your school and ask that they help you with the transition. And, And I mean, in my opinion, I think that districts should, at the very least, be making an effort to convene IEP meetings for those trickier transition cases. I don't know that they're doing it. I've been reaching out specifically to the LAUSD for guidance for those particular families because I have those families. I have the families that are in private school that don't know what to do for next year because an IEP meeting has to be held. And so you as a parent have to just continually reach out and demand answers and demand that an IEP meeting be held via Zoom so that the plan for next year can be addressed. Otherwise, you're just stuck. And it's it's such a an, an unorthodox time that there isn't like a legal, you know, typically we can, we can easily look to a, a legal recourse and say, well, we'll do this. Even if you file a due process complaint now, that's not going to really help you any because a due process complaint is really to pursue 
yes, placement and services, but it's more a compensatory education-based option. And so it can't be resolved, but the proper placement should be and the proper supports and services via a due process agreement right now because they can't address those issues because the relevant information isn't there to make those determinations. And so an IEP meeting has to be held. If it's not held and it's ultimately held later, you do have compensate, you know, you do have a recourse to file a complaint to try and make up whatever, like I said, time was lost via, um, through, through, you know, legal recourse, but that's not going to help you right now. Right now, parents need practical solutions. And the only practical solution for a transition is to hold an IEP meeting and the district to the best of their ability with the information that they do have about the student now offer a placement for next year. And at least provides that guidance, that transition guidance that bridge between now and then. And then we can deal with an IEP meeting at the school later to talk about what may not have been addressed. But parents need to reach out and demand that these meetings be held at the very least for the transition meetings and that they be given the guidance. You know, be annoying, be insistent, be persistent. Send an email every day until you hear back from them and keep that record so you can establish later that you made every attempt to reach out and no one reached out to you. Like you said, knock down that door. I can't say enough to have an advocate or a lawyer at at your side because I I do feel, I don't think that was being when you said it was pessimistic to say that different things get done in different ways. It has been our personal experience that to, um, it, it's, you're, you're playing a different game when you have somebody that knows the law by your side because they know that that person knows the law. I wish I could say differently. You know, I used to do a lot of workshops and seminars and I would advise families, listen, you can do this on your own read your rights, learn your, you know, get your procedural guides um, and read them and, and advocate. And I just, I really believe parents needed to just be warriors, which I still do believe they need to be. And they could work things out if they just knock those doors down. But in my experience, as years have gone by, as I've seen the system actually get worse at times than better, I am seeing more than ever that families need advocates and attorneys. I'm not trying to promote my business. Trust me, I'm busy. I honestly believe that the best way to optimize results for your child is with an attorney or an advocate. That's, I would say attorneys, <laughs> advocates are great, but they can only go so far, especially during this difficult period. I don't want to downplay advocates, get whatever help you can get to have your voice heard. But lawyering up, as they say, is what's going to maximize your child's support and success. It's ugly out there. Like I said, I'm seeing a bit of a regression under normal circumstances, and the fight has has increased. The good news is we get good results. We absolutely do, but you got to fight for them. This isn't going to be an easy path, especially in this climate moving forward. It's going to be difficult. It's going to get difficult. So buckle up and brace yourselves, but the fight is not one you can afford not to engage in. That's right, and not only dealing with what's going on now, but also preparing for the future and getting in touch with your Congress people. And I, I will put that in the show notes. I think that that was a great point you brought up. And and make sure that, again, contact your administrators, put on the record that you requested your annual IEP meeting and get an answer as to how that is going to be handled. Well, it's an unprecedented time. And that's why we reached out to you to, to, to try to uh, get some of your guidance and share that with parents. And we really appreciate your time and your information. You're just such a great advocate. And I just, I think what we love most is your strength. And when you're saying that you don't pull your punch, I, I, that's not a negative. That's like you, I think I like to say more that you stand in your strength and you stand beside the parents that may be very strong, but at that moment don't have their strength. And I think that's so important, and it's such a gift for parents to have, even just giving us this time today, because I see so many questions out there, and parents are are really lost, and I think that the information is is so valuable and it's it's kind of that that's the that's the path that I've been on with Liam this entire journey is that not having the information impedes me, and when I have that information, I have at least a knowledge of where to go. And, and I just, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, <laughs> I know it's not trying to sell having a lawyer. What, that's not the, that's not what we're going here for today. It's to have the right answers and have the strength and, and having a lawyer, <laughs> lawyering up, having someone who knows, knows the truth, even the things about, well, what is reasonable? What can I reasonably ask for and expect? You don't know that because they don't tell you. And oftentimes they make you feel like what you're asking isn't reasonable. And that's just a lie. 
And I can say that because I've seen it time and time and time again, where families come to me and say, I went to my assistant principal. I had my IEP meeting. Here's what I told them I needed. I was told that's not possible. And my brain blows up. And that is what inspires me and what it moves me because I know they're lying and I know that it's not true. And I know that they're steamrolling families. And because families want to trust that administrators and teachers are acting on their best interest. And I don't want to make this into a bashing educators. Obviously, there's so many great teachers out there that are trying their best. Most of them are. But unfortunately, due to complications and you know complexities and, and budgets and limitations and red tape and marching orders, those take to tend to take precedence sometimes. And sometimes teachers are given marching orders behind the scenes where they want to speak up on your behalf and they can't because they feel their jobs are threatened. And I have no compunction saying it. I often get criticized for saying those things, but the people out there listening know it's 100% true. And I'm told this off the record all the time, you were right. I couldn't speak up at that meeting and validate what you were saying because I fear for my job. And you're right to ask for what you did for that student because it's what they require. But that makes me angry because it is the teacher's and administrator's responsibility to first and foremost advocate for the student's best interest. And parents can be scared. Parents can be frustrated, emotional. I've been on the other side of the table as the parent and not the lawyer where I've lost it. And I've had to leave the room because it's your child. And when it's your child, it's emotional. But you need to be in their faces. You need to demand. You need to leave no stone unturned and not be afraid to speak up. And if you're too weak and tired and exhausted and just mentally drained, then go find someone that can speak on your behalf that knows how to do that and isn't afraid to do it. That's my motto. Right. And sometimes parents get caught up in this negative connotation of like rocking the boat or things like that. But I always think of it as as we're helping steer the boat. Boat. We're not rocking it. We're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to focus where we're going. So... If we can make this more of a positive light, uh, 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 and, and we use words like fight and stuff like that, but it, it shouldn't be a negative thing. It should be that we're positively doing this for our children. Yeah, I'm often accused of being adversarial. No, I'm not being adversarial. I'm just asserting my students' rights. It's, it's as simple as that. And at the end of the day, what we're trying to do here is maximize a child's potential to ensure that they can be contributory members of society one day to the best of their ability. That's all we're trying to do is to improve the life of a child as an adult. And they have the same rights to an education with the same scaffolding, the same support that needs to be implemented in order for them to access curriculum and maximize their, their potential as a regular education student. All we're trying to do is even the playing field. That is all we're asking for, no more, no less. And those are nothing but reasonable requests and not for nothing, we're not asking, we're demanding it because the rights of our children say they have the absolute equality to access an education. Well, we are thankful for you. It's my pleasure, reach out anytime. Again, happy to help and stay safe and stay, stay at home, <laughs> more importantly, and stay healthy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Georgiana. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come and join.